Army. It's David Reed, one of the producers here at Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Jason, he's out of town this weekend. He's taking care of some business in his old stomping grounds of Kansas City. He will be back with us on Monday. But fear not, we still have your weekend fix of Fearless. Kicking off the week on Monday, exposing the real enemy of God, the diversity, equity, and inclusion cult, or as Jason refers to it, diversity, inclusion, and equity, D-I-E, because it's killing America. Jason exposes the failures that have led to its rise in the culture, including the failure of the church. I was talking to a very good friend of mine uh, this weekend. Married for 20 plus some years, has kids, good family. He's an executive inside of a major corporation. Uh, He's roped into that corporation's diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, program. Uh, He's comfortable with his role some of the time. He's sometimes uncomfortable because This is a church-going man. This is a family man. Uh, This is someone that has bought in to Christianity and uses that to uh, implement and execute his life plan. And he's looking at his role in the diversity, equity, and inclusion deal that they talk about within his corporation. And he's good with it. And then the LGBT issue. Uh, makes him a bit uncomfortable, among other issues that make him uncomfortable. Uh, And so this weekend I was talking to him and I was blown away. This is a smart person. This is a college educated person. This is someone salt rock of America type American. He's checked every box. Here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to be committed to my wife. I'm supposed to get educated. I'm supposed to be law abiding. He's done it all. All the values that he was taught years ago, he's used them to move ahead in this society. But he's incredibly uninformed because he's busy. And and he's uninformed about what's going on. He's uncomfortable with the culture, but he doesn't know the culture. He doesn't know the forces that are making him uncomfortable within his work environment. And this is someone that virtually every Sunday, if there's 52 Sundays a year, I would imagine he's inside of his church 40 of those Sundays. And I would imagine 51 to 50 of those Sundays, if he's not inside his church, he has some sort of church experience either at home, through YouTube, watching on TV. Uh, During the week, he's involved in church activities, things like that. He's completely uninformed about what's going on in the culture. And again, I go back to this is my problem with the church. It's avoiding what's going on in the culture. And so I started walking him through like, hey, man, you got kids. Uh, Have you, you know, drag queen story hour at the libraries. The drag friendly shows for family friendly drag shows for kids and all the. And so I started sending him videos because, again, this was he had like heard about it. But he didn't fully know 
It, it's like something he had heard in passing. And then I, the, the video that's playing now, can we not play the sound on, on that video? Uh, the video we're playing now, I sent, that's a young child at a drag show filled with adults throwing, again, that's a drag queen, king, whatever. It's a man dressed as a woman talking to that young child. That young child is dancing. That room is filled with adults. They're making it rain on this child. This is going on in our culture. Everybody has bought into that because again, we want to be inclusive. We must serve the inclusivity gods. We must be diverse. And this is what diversity looks like. Take your kids, get them acquainted with the very diverse people of the drag queen uh, group. That's what inclusion looks like. Taking your child to a drag show and having that child, a female child, dance on stage while adults walk up and throw dollar bills at her. We need to be screaming about this from the rafters as loud as we could. What I just showed you is a satanic act. You don't take a young child First of all, you shouldn't go, but grown folks can do what they want to do. I get it. But taking a young child and having them dance on stage and throwing dollar bills, this is child trafficking. This is sex trafficking. This is grooming. And I know that YouTube and all the uh, social media platforms don't want us using the word grooming. What else is it? And so there's a second video, uh, and it's a shorter one. Let's play the other one of the drag friendly. Uh, yeah, this is, a, I believe, a little boy. Yeah, at, at a drag show, dancing with a bunch of uh, drag queens, kings, whatever. The, I could give you an endless real. We could sit here for two hours just playing clips of kids at drag shows being videotaped, dancing and performing for adults. It's hard for me to even talk about it without tearing up that we're doing this and that men are doing nothing about it because of the diversity, inclusion, and equity gods, the real religion imposing its will. Oh my God, if I call this out, I'm homophobic, I'm transphobic, I'm drag queen phobic. This is sick. And so I'm explaining this to my friend. And then uh, I really blew them away they had no idea. I said, hey, you know who Rachel Levine is? They had no idea. And I'm like, you, 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 you've never heard of Rachel Levine. 
This has, you know, none of your circles. It's not talked about at church. No. I'm like, this is some Biden appointee to the, some kind of health, United States Assistant Secretary of Health or whatever. And I go, I go, this is, we've called this man America's first four-star admirable, admiral woman. And they've dressed her up in a, him up in a uniform and a dress and all this and, and done up his hair and called him and, and, and I'm like, my friend had no idea and I go, oh, wait, wait till you see who we sent over to France, who we sent Rachel with, this dude, Sam Britton. He's got some kind of uh, government title. I think he's uh, Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy, Sam Britton. And so I sent my friend, I texted him, here they are headed off to France to represent America. This is the work of the diversity, inclusion, and equity gods. The people in power think Rachel Levine and Sam Brenton are progress and proof of inclusivity and that the entire uh, point of life here in America and across the world is to be inclusive. We, we've strayed so far from, hey, the purpose of life, this is among us that are believers. The purpose of life is to glorify and honor God, to live a life that glorifies and honors God and wins people to Christ. That is our purpose. It's not to be inclusive. It's not to make diversity and equity the, the, our scoreboard the most important thing. But that's what has been done to us. I, I then send, hey, did you hear about the two uh, gay men, couple that uh, adopted two boys and uh, are now being charged with uh, putting these young boys in child porn. And do they, do these two guys represent uh, all of gay America? No, they don't. No different than OJ Simpson doesn't represent me as a black man. But as a believer, I, I, I've thought and believe, and I'm not going to apologize for this, Two men married to each other have no business raising a child. That's not what God intended. We're being moved away from our biblical worldview and we're tolerant and accepting of everything because of diversity, inclusion, and equity. And let's not hurt anyone's feelings with the truth. Family is between man, woman, and child. That's what God intended. That's what works best. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, no one can deny that the ideal family is man, woman, and child. You don't have to agree with me about Jesus as your Lord and personal savior, but I'm sorry. 
The facts are in, the evidence is in. Family is man, woman, and children. That's what works best. That's what produces the best results. Two men who can't control their lust for each other. That's not the ideal group of people to be raising a child. There's no proof of it in human history. Tuesday, Jason discussed a day that could change the course of American history. Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate was raided by FBI agents allegedly over boxes of documents he hadn't returned to the National Archives, but we all see what's happening here. This is a raid on America. But what the left advised to prevent Trump from running for office in 2024 may have already backfired. He's a martyr now. Here's Jason and Jack Posobiec's discussion on how the left may have just sealed their fate. Today, I wanted to start out by bringing in uh, one of the smartest people that I found on social media, Jack Posobiec. He's the uh, senior editor at humanevents.com. Very smart man over social media. I follow him for instant news and analysis. He's someone very well connected in the political space and world. And so uh, we're going to start by bringing Jack on to educate me and the audience about what we should think about this FBI raid and or search and, and what does it all mean. Uh, so Jack, uh, let's start there. How significant were the events yesterday at Mar-a-Lago and, and what should we think about it? Well, Jason, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, this is something that was a nationally historic moment for the United States. And I, I was at CPAC this past weekend and I gave a speech there talking about what's the new right. And I said, look, being part of the new right means you understand what time it is. And you have to understand what part of the movie we're in. And there's two doors. One door is the Republic. And we can walk back to that where we have one set of laws where we have our founding ideals, we have our founding principles, we have our founding system of government. The other door, if we open that up, that's Bolshevism. That's social justice and critical race and whatever other name you wanna put it, but that opens up the door to an entirely new form of government, one which has never existed heretofore in the United States of America. And so if you understand that we are not in the part of the movie where it's time to talk things out and we're just going about our daily lives. No, 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 no. We are hurtling towards the climax of the fourth turning. We're in the final stages of whatever this is. And they are setting the stage for a monumental showdown between, and it's, it's interesting by the way. So if you look at it, if you're somebody on the left, you're looking at this saying, oh, the crooked Trump family, we're going after them, Mar-a-Lago, we're going into the heart, the belly of the beast, this is Tony Soprano's takedown, Walter White gets caught in the end, that's what this is all about, that's how the left, the hashtag resistance types, have always looked at it, right, the suburban wine moms and everything else, they said, we're, we're going to go after him, whether it's Mueller or the Manhattan DA or the Letitia James in the New York AG's office, whoever, right, they just want someone to take down Trump. That has been their white whale, their orange whale, if you will, for the last six years. But if you're on the right, and also, by the way, if you're in the middle, and this is key, you've said, this is a witch hunt. 
This is a situation where you have an entrenched establishment inside Washington, D.C., and their operations arm, right, their militant wing is this law enforcement, this lawless law enforcement, where they are committing unprecedented acts to go after a former president. This is something you would see in Venezuela or Brazil, parts of the Middle East. This is not something that we would do in the United States of America. And it doesn't matter. You want to tell me about I'm not even going to get into the details of the classified, you know, was it classified, was it not classified, documents, not, they want you to have that conversation because that takes away from the shock of what we all actually saw happen yesterday where they crossed a massive line. And that's where I think, by the way, Jason, that the independents and moderates are going to look at this and say, you know, I think that whatever the merits are, this isn't the country we want to live in the kind of country where we're using the national federal police force, that is the FBI, uh, as some kind of political weapon to go after one side and go after the other. And we might need someone to go into Washington, D.C. and smash this system right up in its face. And the only person that's around that we can see right now with the ability to do that is none other than Donald J. Trump. So one of the takes I had on this is, interestingly enough, as crazy as it may seem, this actually puts Trump in a better position in the 2024 primary than he already was. And the general, by the way. I I, I had that conclusion as well, and I became even more cynical, like, well, hold on, this is going to work out well for Trump politically. Uh, he gets to be the martyr and, you know, there's clear evidence of like, no, no, he, he's not just claiming to be a martyr. He is a martyr. Uh, and so part of me was like, is, 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 is he overplaying what they've done here? Is, is he, was it just a search and this wasn't as big of a deal? And then later in the night this morning, I, I just reached the conclusion like, nah, th- this is this is not good. And it, it's it's a clear line being crossed. And one of the conclusions I, I jumped to was like, this guy is such a threat to the establishment, him as an individual. But also when you start looking around at what he sparked in a Cary Lake in Arizona, uh, I believe the guy's name is Joe Kent, also in Arizona. What, what Trump has sparked is a real threat to the establishment, both Democrats and Republicans, and that's why he must be brought down, because I think all people know, like, hey, man, our political system is way too corrupt. We all, there. he was right about fake news, he's right about the swamp. It's just like some people are uncomfortable with him being right, but they can't deny that he's right. And then the establishment is just scared to death because of the people that are following in behind Trump, other politicians, including Ron DeSantis, who put out a very strong statement. Let me read that statement, and then I want your reaction to to what I just said. Ron DeSantis says, the raid of Mar-a-Lago is another escalation in the weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents. While people like Hunter Biden get treated with kid gloves, now the regime is getting another 87K IRS agents to wield against its adversaries, Banana Republic. Trump, if there's no Trump, 
No politician ever puts their name to something like this. He has sparked this, and in order to be a righteous and, and legitimate politician, you have to say things like this that Ron DeSantis said, and the establishment is scared to death. Well, I think that's right. And, you know, do these people, you know, you go on MSNBC or CNN and they're saying, oh, well, the judge and this was, you know, it's done and it must have been done with the highest level of sensitivity. And cut me a break, right? These documents, if we're, if, okay, let's take what you said on the face of it. If these documents were taken out two years ago when he left office, then why all of a sudden in the middle of a midterm year when all of his candidates are running the table in these primaries, now suddenly it's a national security disaster when they've been sitting there for two years yeah no i i don't buy it It doesn't pass the smell test the timing of this is exactly as it looks like governor desantis by the way so the fbi knows what they're doing merrick garland knows what he signed off on chris ray knew he that this was going to happen when he went to the senate to testify last week he already knew and i'm sure by the way the chief of staff of the white house ron Klain, probably informed uh, President Biden about this while he's up there in quarantine, sitting away inside the White House. They pull, think about the timing of that, by the way. They pull Biden off the main stage and then they let, just before they let the government just kind of go and do this. So it looks like Biden isn't there directing it. Kind of interesting, interesting timing on that, a little suspicious. Sus, as the kids might say. But I'll give you another one because while we're talking about this and with DeSantis as governor, of Florida. He's not only a politician, not only a possible 2024 contender or 2028 front runner, I would I would consider him. He's also the governor of Florida. And we know that DeSantis, as a governor, has shown so many of these other governors and, and I would say all the other 49 that it's not just about using your voice and using the power of the bully pulpit, but having the ability to wield your power. Will Governor DeSantis then take steps to empower the sheriffs of Florida, the sheriffs there, Palm Beach County, to actually stand up and say, no, you're not serving this warrant. We're going to do this the right way. We're not going to allow this political theater and your political games and your trickery anymore. Okay, you snuck one in. We're done with it. We are not going to allow the state of Florida, the free state of Florida, to be part of your banana republic and go along with these games. And look, Jason, you said to your uh, right in the opening there, People are already saying we have to take sides. There are people outside of Mar-a-Lago right now, Trump supporters driving around with their flags, driving around with their pickup trucks. There were people who went there immediately last night. There's more people going tonight. I heard there's going to be some kind of impromptu. Like The die is cast, right? This movement, you're talking about people's passions right there. And you're talking about a movement that you are galvanizing, that you are pushing against. And I'm sure, by the way, Merrick Garland, the guy who's locking up grannies, uh, you know, over January 6th, would love nothing more than a standoff between Trump supporters and sheriffs and just all that chaos because he can ride that to power. But mark my words, Merrick Garland, in his mind, this is vindictive. He views the Republicans and the conservatives as being the ones that denied him that seat on the Supreme Court. And so he is now using the power of a weaponized Department of Justice to go after the people he views as personally denying him what he you know, thought was his right, that seat that Gorsuch now is sitting in on the Supreme Court. So he's going after Trump. And mark my words, if they can find even the flimsiest imprimatur 
of an indictment on Trump. They are going to indict him. They will haul him back up to Washington, D.C., just where they had Stephen K. Bannon and General Flynn and all these other people, and they will try to put him on trial in front of a D.C. jury. And if you put a guy like with the name of Donald J. Trump in front of a D.C. jury, you're only going to get one result. We could be looking at the show trial of not only the former president of the United States, but the leading front runner for the 2022 election, actually putting the chief political opponent of this government, this regime on trial. That's the way the die is cast right now. And if you if you couldn't find a more caustic situation, it's like they're taking a um, it's like you got a house fire that you could put out. They are spreading gasoline everywhere and throwing matches all over the place. That's what they're doing to our country right now. We are at a tipping point in America with 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family. Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen. Wednesday, Jason Dove into the case of Kale Gundy, the Oklahoma football coach who resigned after using a racial slur. He read off a player's tablet in a team meeting. The real reason Gundy is no longer in Norman, not so much the N-word, but being an old white guy trying to teach traditional values to young black men. Now, there's a place for that on a college campus, but it's no longer in the football locker room. Gundy was sacrificed to the woke gods. You know Jason brought the fire on this one. Kel Gundy quit because woke culture forbids sharing his values. It's the same reason Jay Wright retired as Villanova's basketball coach at age 60. Uh, the same goes for Duke's Mike Krzyzewski at age 75. Woke culture prohibits college coaches from preaching traditional value. Male college coaches now strictly teach X's and O's. College professors teach values. For a college professor, there is no higher value than the protection of feelings and the promotion of safe spaces. College coaches, on the other hand, value arming and fortifying young men for the harsh realities of life. Kale Gundy is yet another dinosaur who recognized the time we live in and voluntarily accepted the consequence of an American culture committed to the emasculation of men. Gundy, a former Oklahoma University quarterback and longtime assistant football coach, allegedly resigned his coaching position because he read aloud a racial slur while reprimanding, reprimanding one of his players. According to reports, during a film session, Gundy became agitated when he saw a player distracted by his iPad. Gundy picked up the player's iPad and read the words on screen, which included a racial slur. I know you're never supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it. Let's assume Gundy read the N-word. Let's just make that assumption. It is the favorite and most prized word in so-called black culture. Gundy coaches wide receivers, a position dominated by black men. 
Again, so let's assume he read the N-word. In his resignation statement, Gundy took responsibility for his actions, uh, writing, quote, <clears throat> the unfortunate reality is that someone in my position can cause harm without ever meaning to do so. In that circumstance, a man of character accepts accountability. I take responsibility for this mistake. I apologize. I want to be very clear. The words I read aloud from that screen were not my words. What I said was not malicious. It wasn't even intentional. Still, I am mature enough to know that the word I said was shameful and hurtful, no matter my intentions. End quote. Uh, so let's make another assumption. I know I'm running the risk here, making an ASS out of myself, but I'm gonna do it. Uh, Gundy was doing the only thing he's legally allowed to do at Oklahoma, teaching X's and O's. He got pissed that one of his players wasn't paying attention. He got agitated. He grew angry when he looked at the iPad and saw what the player was consuming, and he was consuming content that includes a word that Gundy justifiably views as denigrating and off limits. Gundy's values have probably taught him to believe it's important that no man think of himself or refer to himself as the N-word. Gundy justifiably was uncomfortable with the behavior of the young black men who casually used the word. In his outrage, Gundy forgot that it's illegal for college coaches, particularly white ones, to preach their values to black men. Only white liberals are allowed to preach values to black people, especially on a college campus. Rather than explode in a fit of anger, Gundy chose to use the player's words and actions against him. He violated the player's safe space by publicly shaming him in front of his teammates. Gundy mimicked the behavior of a parent. He verbally spanked the player. Gundy forgot that the social media-driven, social justice movement ended the days of college coaches serving as surrogate parents to football and basketball players. College coaches are now personal trainers employed to prepare young men for the NFL and NBA drafts, and that is all. College sports now have a sole purpose, the pursuit of money. A cynic will say that's the way it's always been. That's not true. Money has always been the driving force, but there was room for shepherding and discipling young men. Woke culture ended that. Brent Venables, Oklahoma's head coach, obeys the gods of the new culture. Uh, in his statement, he said, Coach Gundy resigned from the program because he knows what he did was wrong. He chose to read aloud to his players, not once, but multiple times, a racially charged word that Jay-Z and every other rapper drops every 30 seconds. Oh, I'm sorry, he didn't say that. I'm sorry, I, I added that. Oh, he said, racially charged word that is objectionable to everyone except for fans of rap music. I'm sorry, he didn't say that. And, and does not reflect the attitude and values of our university or our football program. This is not acceptable, period. Coach Gundy did the right thing resigning. 
He knows our goals for excellence and that coaches have special responsibilities to set an example that the players will ignore and call each, these, uh, each other the N-word every chance that... He didn't say that. I'm, I'm editorializing. I'm sorry. Anyway, you know what Venable said. But we also know what the culture preaches that black people are the N-word and that we should call ourselves the N-word and that we should lace all of our music with the N-word and that we should call ourselves the N-word out in front of white people and everybody constantly. And we should act like the N-word is a word of affection. And then when a white person mimics our behavior, we should pretend, oh, that we fell to pieces and we're just damaged for life and that white person's Life must be ruined because once we ruin their life, our life will be so much better. We all know this. This is the game. We call ourselves the N-word. When a gang member smokes a n***, that's a a sign of affection. That's a sign of love. When he busts a cap in a n***, that's love. But when a coach reads an iPad and says that word, black people fall to the ground. Oh my God! Oh! Oh Lord Jesus! I've been hit with the N word by a white man! Oh, take me home right now! Lord Jesus! We know that's what happens when we hear a white voice, when someone with white skin and a pink tongue, when they let that word fall out. Black people, black angels lose their wings. It is over for us. We cannot exist. When I heard about Gundy reading these words, It was difficult for me to get out of bed. I mean, how could I? A white man read the N-word from a black man's iPad in an effort to shame that man and to quit using this word and pay attention to me. I'm here to teach you football. You're ignoring me. I'm only allowed to teach you football. I mean, I... I mean, when I heard... I almost... Called, in, called off from work on Monday because I just needed time to reflect after learning that Gundy had repeated this word. The social media gods, they've spoken. Had the story leaked that Gundy scolded a player and uttered a word that black people use constantly, social media agitators and bots would have framed the OU football program as racist. I mean, <laughs> oh, white man. Repeating that word from that guy's iPad, of course, Oklahoma's football program, it's racist. So uh, what Brett Venables did and what the culture demands is that Gundy's job and reputation were offered up as a sacrifice to the woke gods. His story is a cautionary tale to other coaches. Don't preach values. Don't pretend to be a father figure. Teach X's and O's. Look the other way when you see black players exhibiting self-destructive behavior. Let the liberal professors on campus and social media influencers groom the values and worldview of black athletes. I feel sorry for Kel Gundy. 
He treated the player just as I would have. I have less sympathy for Jay Wright and Mike Krzyzewski. They were at the very top of their profession. They have the platform and the wealth to speak against the emasculated culture being promoted on college campuses. I'm sure there are a wide variety of reasons that motivated Wright and Coach K to step aside that have nothing to do with the emasculated culture. I'm aware of that. Coach K has health concerns, including a bad back. The transfer portal and the new rules regarding name, image, and likeness have caused major chaos within, within college sports. The whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket. I get it. But the basic dynamics of coaching have changed dramatically. Coaches are reluctant to publicly object because they're addicted to the multi-million dollar paychecks. They grumble in private. I believe Wright and Coach K walked away because the job is no longer rewarding. Who wants to be a personal trainer when their vision was to be a life coach? And we wrapped up the week on Thursday with a special discussion with fearless soldier Royce White. His bid to unseat radical Ilhan Omar in Minnesota fell short in the primary, but Royce got the attention of the left. The publication Mother Jones saw him as such a threat to the liberals' reign over black people, they dropped a hit piece on Royce just one day before the election. Even though Royce uh, did not win the Republican primary, I think the number of hit pieces I saw on Royce White lets me know he's a dangerous man to the establishment. Uh, if he was not dangerous, they wouldn't be having these hit pieces published about him. And so I don't think we've heard the last of Royce White in the political sphere. Uh, the Democrats and the establishment and the Republican establishment can see that Royce represents something uh, potentially dangerous, and that's why these hit pieces have been written. And so, uh, Royce White, uh, welcome back to the show. And I just want to take some time and learn from you what you learned, and and then I want to talk a little bit about this piece and 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 what's next for Royce White. So, uh, first off. Uh, how was it? What did you learn uh, running for the uh, 5th Congressional seat in Minnesota? Well, first of all, there's a lot of components that go into running a campaign that <clears throat> you just couldn't know without running a campaign. And it's just like any other profession or, or any other endeavor. So I, I learned a great deal just about personnel, about the different aspects of of a campaign, whether it be ground game, whether it be advertising, whether it be billboards and so on and so forth. Um, from from a bigger cultural standpoint, I guess um, we we in Minnesota are exactly where I believed we were, uh, where I had a, a hunch we were, but I definitely wanted to test it out. I definitely wanted to see for myself and and, and jump in regardless. And you know, I, I was defeated yesterday by the Uniparty, and and that's just the the God's honest truth. The Uniparty um, prevailed. And it's it's a failure of <clears throat> urgency from the American people, especially the conservative movement. You know, I look at the the vote results and totals, <clears throat> and you had a uh, hundred thousand Democrat voters turn out in CD five, and, and only ten thousand in in our Republican primary. Um, so so that's alarming. Uh, to begin with, especially given the circumstance of our country right now. Um, 
But but, you know, set aside the the fifteen hundred votes that kind of came out of the blue to this this uh, phantom candidate guy Gaskin, who nobody had ever heard of before tomorrow, who actually ended up getting 15 percent of the vote, 1500, which, you know, would have would have given me uh, a win had I gotten a a substantial chunk of those votes. Uh, I lost by a 500 vote swing. Um, But that aside, you know, I know personally from being in the district that there are at least 500 to 1,000, let's say, primary Republican voters that are Democrat light and and are pro-abortion. And I could have easily gone door to door and smiled in their face and affirmed baby killing. And maybe I would have gotten another 500 votes. Um, but but that's just not my style. And, and I'm not willing to do that. And I think what I learned most is, is that the people who are going to try and step up into the political arena have to make a very, very tough decision about uh, upholding the morals and values uh, in their pursuit of success. You, you hit on initially one of the things I wanted to ask you about is what to make of the fact that 100,000 people turned out on the Democratic side and only 10,000. Is, is that an indication that the Republicans just feel like the Democrats are unbeatable in that district? And so why bother? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think. I think it, yes and no. I mean, look, the, the, when Ilhan won in 2020, she the, the general election, she won with 200,000 plus votes. Her opponent, Lacey Johnson, got around 100,000 or 120,000 votes. So there's a huge vote uh, split anyway, uh, differential anyway, between Democrats and Republicans in CD5. But, but my concern is that the urgency that people display about the political landscape in our country uh, whether it be in, in in chat groups or whether it be on message boards or on Twitter or and or Fox News or whatever the case may be, uh, you would think that that Republicans everywhere, regardless of what they believe the outcome will be, will will come out and show their their uh, their desire to change this country and and to elect people who they believe can change this country. Uh, and that didn't happen here in CD five. And and the the God's honest truth, it's not an indictment of Minnesota as a whole. I started with CD5 because CD5 is the heart of the, the state. Um, the outstate support is is much more um, is is much has a much bigger Republican demographic. But I would say from the Wardlow, our Attorney General primary on the Republican side uh, gives me just as much concern. Uh, the, the 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 Republican establishment uh, railroaded America first candidates in Minnesota. Uh, and, and as I said many times before, the Republican establishment is the outer bastion of, of defense for for the entire NWO agenda. Well, one of the things I thought, and maybe you can acknowledge this or tell me I'm wrong, uh, was when you got involved with the race, the whole idea was that so you could get in the ring with Elon Omar. And that once you were in the ring with her and it became a one-on-one fight, it would give you a chance to not only bloody her up, but uh, enhance your brand and make you a more viable voice throughout the entire state of Minnesota, regardless of what happened in the general election. And instead, perhaps they're gonna send this Cicely Davis, I believe, who won, into that ring with Ilan Omar 
and it, it won't be the kind of fight that you would have waged. Yes, I mean, she's completely controlled opposition. Uh, she, you know, she is, she is an example of what the Republican establishment has done across this country uh, to concede territory to the Democrats and allow Democrat candidates to avoid very tough general election uh, opponents. Uh, you know, Cicely Davis stood right up before the CD5 convention where she won an endorsement with a similar percentage split. It was like 54 to 46 or something like that. And, and she stood right up before the entire 100, 100 plus uh, delegate crowd and said abortion, God, the church of LGBTQ, the Fed, globalism are all red meat red meat talking points for the base. And that in order to go into these Democrat strongholds, we need to become more Democrat-like, or, or we need to be able to speak to Democrats. But she didn't say speak the truth. And, and that's the real crisis of leadership around, around the country and around the world, but, but specifically around the country, especially as it pertains to politicians. Politi politics in America have become this retail business of telling the people what they want to hear. And, and that is your average politic. What can I say to appeal to the biggest audience? Not how can I speak the truth and lead people to a better understanding and clarity uh, about what uh, for their individual lives and for the lives of their community and us as a nation? Cicely Davis is. And he, here's the real kicker. This is this is what I mean by the, you know, I, the three card Monty, the double cross and triple cross. The same money that's back in. Um, Ilhan Omar that got her involved in politics in the beginning is the same money that's behind Cicely Davis. It's the same money that's behind Nikki Haley on the Republican side. Right. And, and, you know, just, just as a, as a, you know, transparency, yes, you know, a few, a few Jewish elite businessmen in the community are responsible for putting money behind both uh, candidates, both sides. And, and it's a very strategic move on their behalf and the people have not gotten wise to it, partly because they can't even, most people can't even say the word Jewish without crawling into a corner and, you know, fear of being called an anti-Semite. I happen to be one who can, which is why when I stood up before that same congressional uh, delegate process and said the word globalism, and I called out the Star Tribune for insinuating that globalism is by default anti-Semitic, uh, I kind of, you know, the writing was on the wall uh, for, for my support from the Republican establishment. Um, so, you know, the, the American people have had the wool pulled over their eyes with this election process. And I don't say that to discourage people from getting involved. I want people to become more involved. If you are upset with the way the Democrats have run this country, if you are upset with the way the Republicans have fought back, you need to join your local BPOU and become a precinct committeeman and make sure that the Republican uh, the Republican Party is not is not um, held captive by by globalists and Satanists. Before the weekend is up, be sure to join us over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. That's where you can find all of the content from Fearless throughout the course of the week. Be sure to subscribe there. Hit that notification bell to make sure you never miss a moment of content. If you're on Apple or Spotify listening on podcasts, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star review. That would be greatly help the Fearless cause here. And if you have feedback for us, you can reach the show and Jason at fearlessattheblaze.com. That's fearlessattheblaze.com. We'll be right back here on Monday for another week of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Fearless.